0: Thank you for that. always enjoy the, enjoy the singing, uh, what a blessing it is. No, no other place I'd rather be on a Sunday morning. I, uh, I love being around God's people. I have a very special place in my heart for this church. And uh, it, it's, it's absolutely a blessing to be standing up here and, and looking out and seeing all the full seats because when I first started coming here, just about this middle row was about the only full section. We really have a lot of people on the side. We started, uh, I know there might be some in here that started on Bonner Street. I didn't see it there. I started, when I started coming here, we were still in McArdle. And uh, I always thought it was very interesting that that they had a bus ministry. You don't see a lot of churches that size with a bus ministry. Uh, and, and you look this morning and you see all these fine looking young men sitting across the first row. We even got some over here. Just not too long ago, uh, the ladies outnumbered the boys. Uh, And now we have these men back, and, and I have a very special place in my heart for the youth department and uh, I'm not going to take away from what they're going to say tonight but if you don't normally come on a Sunday night I would encourage you to come tonight uh, these men and these women these young men young women are going to come up and they're going to give testimony uh, about what uh, God is doing in their lives and, and how God has spoken to them and that's powerful uh, if you've never witnessed anything like that if you've never been to a youth camp brother Jesse was this your first year was it a blessing Absolutely. And uh, Brother Luke, he'll complain every year about driving the bus. But you know what? He enjoys every, every minute of it because he knows he has influence and impact for the glory of God on these young people. Uh, so I would challenge you guys to come back tonight. And uh, I've been, been uh, texting pastor all throughout this week. He was up there preaching youth conference. And uh, he's just been kind of updating me. He said, overall... Uh, the youth at that camp were, were amazing decisions being made. He said it was a, it was a good time. Uh, just, the, just the three that we have in our household, they told me it was the best youth camp that they've ever been to. They thoroughly enjoyed it, not because of the fun that they were having, Brother Ben, but because of the preaching. It was the preaching they heard. Uh, so that's a blessing I'm looking forward to hearing from them tonight. So be here for that. I would challenge you guys to be here for that. Uh, he also wanted to let me know uh, this morning. He texted me and uh, you know let me know that he was uh, praying for all of you guys. He misses you guys. He can't he can't wait to be back. He looks forward to seeing you guys on Wednesday night. He's he's excited about what God's doing. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do with this, this church building. Uh, so he had asked me probably a few weeks ago to, to preach this morning. So, uh, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about what I'm going to preach. And a- anybody who's spent any time behind this pulpit, the more time you have, probably not the better. Uh, you start thinking about a lot of things. And uh, i tell you one thing that really began to stick out in my mind is what people think of our Savior uh, we, we go out soul winning every Saturday, but, but beyond that in our workplaces and just the people that we deal with maybe at the bank or at the gas station or at the grocery store, it's, it's so interesting the conversations that begin to take place. Uh, and that's, that's a blessing for us because it shows uh, that, you know, people are interested. Uh, but the truth of the matter is most of the conversations that I have with people about Jesus uh, are, are heartbreaking. They're sad uh, because people just have a very twisted view of our God. Uh, One of the things that really, really bothers me, it breaks my heart, is is the jokes that you hear about hell. Hell's a very real place. It's not a place you want to end up. They say, the worm dieth not, there's gnashing of teeth, forever torment, for eternity. That is not a place you want to end up. I, I get really sick and tired of the jokes. People say, oh, it'll be perfect temperature. We're going to have a party down there. I'm going to be with my friends. You won't be thinking that. I guarantee, give it but a blink of an eye and you, you'll regret that decision. It breaks my heart when I hear people talk like that. They don't know my Savior like I know my Savior. So many people, you know, they, they, they make a joke about church and how church is, is a crutch for people. And that, that you need religion because you're not, you're not strong enough to deal with this world. No, that's not true. It is true in the sense that I'm not strong enough to deal with this world, but it's not a crutch. He is my entire life. I lean upon him wholeheartedly because I trust in everything that he does. He has never led me astray, not once. It really irks me when people make fun or poke jokes at my church or my Savior because they truly do not know how good he has been to me. Just a, just a little brief testimony of my life. I was, I was saved at 15 years old. Now, I wish I could tell you at 15 that uh, God called me to preach when I was 15, and I lived for Him from then, from then on. But the truth of the matter is, uh, just a few months later, when I turned 16, I became very heavily involved in sin. Uh, I was very into drinking, and I was dabbling in drugs, uh, and everything else that you could imagine that comes with that. That was my life for eight long years. Uh, And I can tell you, having seen both sides of it, this side is way sweeter. Uh, There's a special joy that comes from being in church. There's a special joy that comes from being in God's house. There's a man in the back right now, uh, Che, He's smiling because he knows. We've talked about this. We've shared stories. What a blessing it is to serve God. What a blessing it is to see this church grow. And, And I take personal offense to it when people start picking at my God and making fun of my God because they don't know how good my God is. But I began to think about that. And there, there's, this, there's this point where you have to realize, are you really upset or does it just truly break your heart? Because the truth of the matter is, this is what, this is what the world's feeding them. Satan's doing a really good job. He's getting into the minds of our young people. He's getting into the minds of our generation. And he's distorting their view of God. And he's, all, he's, he's, he's fully invested in this generation. He is going to do anything and everything he can to destroy the lives of our young people and it's cause for concern. I don't want to get political, but we see everything taking place. We see all the misgendering and everything that's taking place in our country, and it's a joke. It's a mockery of God. That's not what God intended. And people are falling victim to that. I worry. You know, we, we didn't really have to deal with that when I was in high school. You knew better. You didn't come out with that kind of stuff. There were consequences for that. Now they're the only ones that seem to have rights. You can't say anything about what they do. They can say whatever they want. They can come after our young people and they can mock my God, but I can't say anything. I'm completely defenseless against it. I have a problem with that. That's not how God intended us to live. It worries me for how easy salvation is. It's such an easy concept. They say that even a child can understand it. We see three-year-olds at VBS get saved. That's not by accident. That's because that's how clear the gospel message is, that even a child could understand it. And We have grown men and women that have no concept of it because they've lived in this wicked world for so long. Their view has been distorted for so long. They have such a, a misconcepted view of my Savior. And it's cause for concern. It's amazing when we go out and talk to these people. People are searching. There's no doubt in my mind. They're just searching for the wrong thing. And you try to tell them about the Savior and they want nothing to do with it. I can't can't wrap my head around that the love, the long-suffering, the patience, the meekness of my God, and people want nothing to do with that. I can't wrap my head around that. I can't wrap my head how we would go and knock on people's doors and they will automatically be on the defensive and start cursing you just because you want to tell them about the greatest thing that ever happened in your life. I can't wrap my head around that. But we're okay with drinking alcohol by the gallon, consuming drugs, going to baseball games and football games and making idiots of ourselves. We're okay with that. But there's something about living for God that people think is a joke. I take offense to that. I love this life. There's nothing I'd rather do than be around God's people and serve the Lord. There's great blessings that have come from it. I'm invested in this church. I'm invested in these people. I love each and every one of you. I pray for you guys. I care greatly about you. And when I see people make fun of my church, I take offense to it. Do we all get along? Absolutely not. I tell you what, you stay, you stay in church long enough, you're going to butt heads. It's just a fact of life because you know why? We're human. doesn't matter if we're in the world or if we're in God's house. We're going to butt heads. But, the, but at the end of the day, we got to love each other. There's, there, there is a purpose to what we do. Our focus is Him and Him alone. I don't have time to worry about what everybody else is doing. That's got to be my focus. That's my dedication. That's my commitment. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 19 this morning. Talk a little bit about a man named Zacchaeus. The title of my message this morning is Misconceptions of My Savior. These are some of the common things I hear when I go out and I talk to people about Jesus, things that just break my heart, things that people don't understand. But I see so much of this in Scripture and really so much of this with the encounter that we're about to see here with Zacchaeus. Uh, So we'll go ahead and start in Luke chapter number 19, verse 1, and we'll read all the way down to verse 10. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief publican which was among was the chief among the publicans and he was rich and he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature and he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and saw him and said unto him Zacchaeus make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully and when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning, Lord. We thank you for the Sunday school hour, the time of fellowship, Lord. But I pray that you would just help us to hone into the message you've given, Lord. Pray that you would just give me boldness and clarity, Lord, and speak to hearts as only you can. Let it be for your praise, honor, and glory, Lord. We do love you, and thank you so much for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. may be seated. I think we could spend a lot of time going over the misconceptions of my Savior. And I believe there's a lot of Scripture to back that up. Uh, but really, these are probably the ones that I hear most often uh, from people. And it's really, it's really quite sad when you start talking to people uh, and they think a certain way of themselves or they have a certain view of our Savior because they truly don't know. Uh, ignorance is a sad thing because it only gets you so far, but it isn't going to keep you out of hell. Uh, So that's something that we need to be mindful of. But first, we see Jesus is not a respecter of persons, Growing up in church, uh, you know, my dad being in the military, we would jump from church to church a lot. It seemed like every time he he uh, got stationed somewhere else, we would end up in a new church. And I would always hear this saying. Uh, and as a young person, I always thought it was kind of weird, like, oh, God doesn't respect anybody. He doesn't care about anybody. But that's not exactly what we're talking about here when it says Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Uh, look there in two and three, it says, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among, among the publicans, and he was rich. So he's finding some things about about Zacchaeus and he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature really that term respecter of persons it's pretty simple uh, this morning your wealth or lack thereof your prestige your physical appearance your social status your job title are of no influence to the Savior. He does not care. He does not take any of that into account when you call upon his name. It does not matter to him. He does not care if you can pay for the church building next door, although that would be a blessing if you could do that. He does not care if you don't have two nickels to rub together. He does not care of all your achievements in the workplace. He doesn't matter if you're the president, vice president, CEO, doesn't matter if you're the janitor, black or white or even yellow, it's of no influence. Now, that isn't to say that God can't use some of those instances. I'm being serious. If you have $2 million, bring it forward. We'll go ahead and pay for that building now if you want to be a blessing in that way. But this morning, friend, I must tell you that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. His interest this morning is your soul. He doesn't care what color you are. He doesn't care how much money you make. He doesn't care how big your house is. He doesn't care what you drive. He wants your soul. He came to seek and save that which was lost. But Satan's done a pretty good job of causing confusion in this area. Anybody that's talked to anybody in the world about Jesus for any length of time, you can pick up on that. You know. We got churches around us. They're spreading a false gospel. We know that. You knock on doors all the time. People tell you, oh, I go to this church, and I go to that church, and I pray this, and I do that. So I know I'm going to heaven. doesn't matter. There is only one way. For example... One of the things I hear, the love of money is the root of all evil and it's been making its way into the church houses for a long, long, long time. Shame on any so-called man of God or any so-called local New Testament church that would turn away a person, more, more importantly, a lost soul simply because they cannot provide sufficient funding. Now, I say that because I remember years ago, my mom, she had finally uh, got right. She had been through a series of things through her childhood, and she really held on to that. So she turned to alcohol for a long, long time in her life. Now, my mom passed away in 2016, and I fully believe that she is in heaven this morning, and I'm very grateful for that. I look forward to seeing her again one day. But I remember a time in her life when she struggled, and I remember when she finally decided that she wanted to get right with God, and she sought to find a church. Uh, Brother Cody, you might, you might be the only one in here that knows, but if anybody knows of a little place called 29 Palms, you know that there ain't much going on in 29 Palms. There's a lot of palm trees, a lot of dirt, and not a lot of brain cells, if you catch what I'm saying. <laughs> there ain't much going on in 29 Palms. So it's hard. So we did our research, and we found one church that was even close to our doctrine, and I remember she went and visited that church. She finally, she finally visited. The first time she was there, they began to question her about joining. I think that's a problem. Everybody that's joined this church, I don't believe for a second you've ever been pressured to join this church. There's a reason for that. You choose willingly to come and be with this crazy bunch of misfits. Remember that. But they told her she would have to fill out an application to join the church. I said, Mom, I don't, I don't think that's right. What else did they tell you? Well, they want to know about my financial situation. That's a little strange. And then she told me this. said, they want to run her credit. And they had it under the guise of having reliable members. Because they were such a small church, they needed to know that the people that wanted to join their church were going to be reliable. That's hogwash. God wasn't within 10,000 miles of any of that junk. That's straight out of hell. God is never going to turn anyone away. And shame on this church. I guarantee they're not in existence now. The God of creation does not care one bit about your credit score. Doesn't matter. I remember where I grew up in Milton, Florida. Not too terribly far was this little podunk town called Jay, Florida. Has anybody ever heard of Jay, Florida? Population 600. Now let me tell you something about Jay, Florida. I didn't even know about Jay, Florida. And I lived in Milton like five years at this point in my life. Milton's not a big town. Population 20,000, maybe. Not big, but not small either. So you have this little podunk town called Jay. And at this point, I was in uh, ninth, 10th grade, and I was doing vocational school, so I spent half of my day away from high school doing OJT, on-job training for electrical. And you get around other kids from other high schools, and we had two kids from Jay High School, population of like 15 in their entire high school. And they began to tell me about the town of Jay because I didn't know. I wanted to know about Jay. Here's what I learned about Jay. Jay is a very racist community. At that time, early 2000s, they still held KKK meetings. Don't get uncomfortable. That's what's going on in our country. Still held them. It was what was known as a sundown town. That simply means if you're black, you don't get caught with the sun going down on you. They would tell me about this. And I remember uh, as a young man thinking, this just doesn't sound right. And I don't know how we got onto this topic, but somehow we got into talking about churches. And they were very open that they did not want black people in their churches. Now, that's a problem. Because God doesn't have that way of thinking. He does not care. He is not a respecter of persons. Churches in that area didn't take kindly to black people. They were completely closed off to it. It was considered cool to hate somebody simply because of the color of their skin. Now this morning, I'm grateful to tell you that God doesn't care what color you are. I mean, you look at our church. We have a a very interesting melting pot. I I have a wife who's Hispanic. I have a pastor who's Korean. One of my good friends out there came from Korea. Many Hispanics in here. Many different. uh, We have a good melting pot God does that. God can bring people from different colors, from different creeds, from different walks of life, and he brings us together with the same goal of going forward for the glory of God. Amen. That is our purpose. It does not matter. Some of, the, some of the greatest friendships I've built in churches over the years have been with people of color. I don't care because God doesn't care. They have the same value in his eyes. He's after their soul. We got to get over this whole it matters thing because it doesn't. God does not care. We put ourselves up on a high pedestal. We twist scripture because we think that black people are cursed. That's not what the Bible is teaching. Go back and study. Do your research. This Bible, God shows that he wants to have fellowship with each and every one of us. I've met several multimillionaires. Being in the automotive industry, you get to know people that have money, whether it be through buying cars or owners of the dealership, you meet people that have money. And I'm sure some of you have met people that have money. And it's always very interesting because you find out really quick what they care about. Oh, look, I have $2,000 in my pocket. Okay, cool. You're going to give it to me? No. You find out what they care about. But what's always interesting is you try. As a Christian, you try. I try really hard to steer the conversation to God because I want to know if they're saved or not. Right. And it's always amazing to me. These, these multimillionaires, almost every single one of them, for whatever reason, they seem to equate their wealth with favoritism from God. I'll be honest with you. There are probably people in this church right now that are millionaires that we know nothing about because they're using it for the glory of God. I believe God blesses some with great wealth. Those who can handle it and use it for his glory, I'm not one of those. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. I'd have every new gun that came out and hit the market. God doesn't allow me great wealth, and that's okay. I know that. But there are some who money has no value to them from materialistic things because they want to use it for the glory of God. The only way, Christian, you're going to make it over to Portugal is because there are men and women that understand the value in money and prayer. But most people I've met with that kind of money and that logic, they have a very twisted view of God. Why is that? Why is that? I really believe they they stand there and they say, Look at me, God. I I have this this huge house. I drive this amazing $500,000 car that gets five miles to the gallon. I have all these spoiled kids that are going to go to all these Ivy League colleges. They think that their money is going to buy their way into heaven. You know what's sad about that? Every one of them, without fail, the ones that I've tried to witness to, those men that I've dealt with, uh, they won't even listen or give you a chance to explain their fault in thinking and their belief. And they're going to miss heaven by about this much. That's sad. That's a problem. That's why it's dependent upon us, children of God, to go out and tell people about who Jesus Christ really is. Another misconception I hear in my Savior is Jesus does not care about me. I hear that one a lot. Verse number five, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. I have to assume that people who have made this comment have either never read the Bible probably never heard the truth, or are so closed off to it, it wouldn't matter what you told them. I really haven't found an instance in the Bible where God hasn't warned people over and over again, if you go against my people, judgment is coming. If you do this, judgment is coming. God always deals with people with love and compassion, but there comes a point when that runs out, and judgment has to be handed down, and that's what the world sees. All they see is the judgment, oh, he's unreasonable, he's cruel, he doesn't love, he doesn't care, he just wipes people out. No, he gave a warning. This morning, he's given many of you warning. He's tapping on your chest right now, saying, just listen. He ain't a very smart guy, but just listen to him. He's often firm and direct, but the world would have you believe that his firmness is a sign that he really doesn't care for you. Nowhere before this do we see that Jesus has ever had any dealings with Zacchaeus. I don't believe that Jesus had even heard of the man. He probably never even heard his name mentioned. But you know what? It didn't matter. Jesus knew exactly who this man was. Knew everything about him. Knew he had wealth. Knew he was a tax collector. Knew he would be in that tree at that moment. You start reading scripture. Anytime Jesus went anywhere, he was a popular person. He always had crowds around him. People heard about the miracles that he was performing. People heard about the things that he was doing, and they wanted to take hold of it. They wanted to see it. So you got this little guy in a tree? That could be very easy to overlook. Sometimes we feel like that. We feel small like Zacchaeus. I think there's a reason that the Bible calls him out for being a little person, because that's how we feel sometimes in this great big world. We feel like Jesus doesn't care. But the truth is, He didn't overlook Zacchaeus. I remember at 13 years old, my parents had divorced. I'd moved across the country from my mom. My brother was off and on between Florida and California. My dad was in the military full-time. He was also working a part-time job. Uh, So I really didn't have anybody. I was pretty much left to my own devices. 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, I was pretty much on my own. I used to think that Jesus didn't care because if he did, he wouldn't, he wouldn't allow me to be on my own, right? He'd at least give me friends or people in my life to influence me in some way. I thought, I thought Jesus didn't care. But I remember as I began to kind of make friends and branch out a little bit more, and I'd get invited to uh, youth conference events and stuff like that, youth camps and youth meetings, and get invited to church, and I'd go and, and I really didn't know what I was listening to. You know, being in the military, we jumped around a lot. Some of these churches, I really just didn't understand exactly what they were trying to preach. Uh, But I remember receiving a Gideon Bible, this little orange Gideon Bible. And I remember trying to make sense of that. And I remember, as a 15-year-old boy, one night sitting in my room, all by myself, I'm sitting there trying to read the Bible, trying to make sense of it, none of it makes sense. I remember getting frustrated, and I threw that Gideon Bible down on on my desk, and it flipped open to the first page. If anybody's ever received one of those little Gideon Bibles, on those first couple pages, you have the Romans Road. I read that Romans Road, and it made sense to me that I was on my way to hell. And I bowed and got on my knees and cried before God and said, Save me, and he did just like that. Amen. I remember that knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. And he came in just like that. And the world seems to think that you have to do something for that to happen. You have to pay a certain amount of money for that to happen. You have to pay the rosary a certain amount of times. You have to be a good person for a certain amount of time for that to happen. No. It's as easy as just believing and accepting. That night I found out that that dirty old rotten devil with his old fiery darts was a liar. Everything I had ever heard about Jesus was false. He does care. Casteth all your care upon him for he careth for you. He wants you to open that door. Many of you right now, I believe in an auditorium this size, there is somebody right now that doesn't know if they were to die right now that they'd go to heaven. I believe that. And I believe right now Jesus is knocking upon your heart and you're doing everything to push it away. I've been there. Don't. You'll regret it. He wants to show you true love and a life full of joy in Him. The world calls us crazy as we come in and we hoot and holler about how good Jesus is. But I tell you, it's the greatest life I've ever lived. What a blessing it is. Jeremy and Jillian, they really didn't get to grow up in church. It wasn't until they were seven, eight, nine years old that they really started to get involved. But what a blessing it is to see them use the way that God has used them. But to have two more children, Holden and Hudson, you know the handfuls that they are. Five and three years old. Everybody knows Hudson. Crazy. But what a blessing it is to have them in church. You know how exciting it is on a Wednesday night when I get home from work after a long, hard day getting beaten down by this wicked world. Daddy, we go to church tonight. I go Bible blazers see Brother Jesse. That's exciting to me. That's a blessing. I'm going to do everything that I can to fight for that. I find error in people that don't want to bring their kids to church. Why would you not want to bring your kids to church? Well, I don't want my kids to end up as a goody two-shoes. Yeah, they're going to be a little different. They're going to get picked on. It's life. Get over it. It's still far better than being in the world. I hear the saying often, we are all God's children. That really bothers me (laughs) because the truth is we're not. We are all God's creation. If it were true that we were all God's children, he would have, Jesus would have never had to leave heaven and come and hang on a cross for our sins. He never would have had to do that because we're already in the family. But that's not the truth. The truth is, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, your father is the devil. And I'm doing everything I can to get you out of his grips. And there are two men right now praying to God that you would just allow Christ into your heart right now. But the good news is that we are all His creation, and there's something about being His creation. He wants to fellowship with His creation. Anybody that spent any time making something, you want to utilize what you make. He has a purpose for you. He has a desire for you. He wants to fellowship with you. He loves you. He cares greatly for you. He created you for a reason. He knows everything about you. Those deep, dark secrets that you don't tell your parents, He knows. Those things that you struggle with that you wouldn't dare tell anybody else, He knows. And He wants to help you with those. It's not for us to just keep those things to ourselves and completely cut God out. You will fall because of that. Only further and further. I don't believe there's a rock bottom anymore. I really don't. I think the only rock bottom is death and hell. And it's sad that so many people choose that over fellowship with God. You know, this whole, this whole transgender movement, uh, one of the things, we, ha- we, we see a lot of this in our dealership, and it, it's absolutely disgusting, but I tell you, you talk to these people and you hear a lot, and they all believe that God loves them. Now, I do believe that God loves them, but I don't believe that they're saved. They all believe that God loves them and that they're saved and God's okay with them living in their sin, and that's not true. God is not okay with that. Read Romans 1. God is not okay with you living in sin. He doesn't want you to live that lifestyle. He desires that we are close to him and that we have fellowship with him and that we get rid of that sin in our life. When sin entered in through Adam, he cared so much that he made a plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. Whosoever. That's me, that's you, and that's everybody in this world. Whosoever. That means he is not a respecter of persons, and he does care for you because he wants to save your soul. He sent his perfect, only begotten son to die on a cross for your sins. I take offense to that when you turn my Savior away. He wants us, but too many people don't want him because they believe that he doesn't care. He does care. He cares, friend, more than you'll ever realize. Is it not amazing that each and every person in here he knows more intimately than your spouses or your family members or any other member in the church will know you? He knows everything about you and he just wants to fellowship with you? Does that not amaze you that he has that individual relationship with each and every one of us at the exact same time? It's not like he deals with Brother Luke and says, okay, Ethan, I'll get to you in 20 minutes when I'm done with Brother Luke. No, he deals with each and every one of us at the exact same time. That is a blessing. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares for you. Another misconception I hear often is, I've done too much bad. It's probably the one I hear the most. The young man at work, he just started working, and I won't say his name, but I hope that he comes. He's on our prayer list in the Sunday school class, and 20 years old. I've been talking to him. He works right next to me. I've been mentoring him a little bit, and you know, I asked him about church and about salvation and what he believes, and he told me this, and I've heard this so often, I haven't done enough good. I'm too bad for God to love. Well, if that's the case, then none of us can go to heaven. Yes, sir. I find this particular misconception interesting because it is often what others have said to an individual that causes this way of thinking. Look back at verse 7 and 8. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Look at what the people had to say about Zacchaeus. I believe that he was well aware of what people thought about him. I know when I go to work every morning, I know what people think of me. I know because they're very vocal. They don't want anything to do with my God. They don't want me to talk about my God. I have to listen to their God-awful rap music, but I can't listen to my Christian music because it's offensive to them. I'm not allowed to read my Bible on lunch break in public places because it's offensive to them. I know what people think about me. And I know what people think about my God. And I know what Zacchaeus thinks. He knows what people think of him. He was well aware of what people thought. No doubt, I believe, he had even heard what people had to say. The thing is, you hear that stuff long enough and you start to believe it. I was just talking to my wife about this not too long ago. The sad thing is, you get so many of these kids that are raised in these abusive homes. And we like to think that because we're not putting hands on our children, that we're not abusing them. But sometimes the worst abuse is verbal abuse when you tell them time and time again how worthless they are and how they'll never amount to nothing and how they can't do this right and how they can't do that right. And I tell you, as a parent, that's challenged me. So I've probably fallen into that area. You think about a young child, they just want nurture and they want love and they want somebody to care about them. But you just beat them down over and over again and they start to believe it. They start to believe that they're worthless. They start to believe that they're no good. They start to say things like, I've done too much bad for God to save me. Breaks my heart. And I believe Zacchaeus confirms that in verse number eight. Why would he even mention restoring anything taken from any man if there wasn't some level of guilt? I believe he thought, maybe there is some truth. Now, publicans, tax collectors in that day, they had a bad rep. They were known for taking people's money and using it for their own fleshly desire. They were known for that. It was common practice, if you will, much like what we see today in politicians. It was common practice. But I believe there was some level of guilt, and he knew that. He knew what people thought about him. But what these people that murmured didn't realize is that regardless of how mean or how evil or how sinful they thought this man to be, he met the requirements of a need for a Savior. They even called him a sinner. Requirement. Every one of us in this room this morning, we meet the requirements. It doesn't matter, matter how much bad you've done, how much bad you think you've done. How how evil you think you are, how sinful you think you are, it doesn't matter. God does not care. He still wants to save you. He desires to have that relationship with you. He desires to fellowship with you. He wants you to know how much he loves you. The world tells them that they are unlovable. The world tells them that they are unforgivable. The world tells them that they are unchangeable. The world tells them that they're unsavable. So many times I hear that, and they explain how they've been told that their whole lives. And then I hear probably the saddest thing ever. When they say this, they say this, and it just, every time, it's, it's trying to fight back tears. Every time they say it, they say, I've accepted who I am, and I just want to be left alone, and I don't want to bother anybody. Brother, there's a reason God sent me to knock on your door. Sister, there's a reason that God sent us to knock on your door that day. That's how much he cares, and you're going to miss it because you're, you're so hard-hearted. You're so closed off to the gospel. You're going to miss it. I don't doubt there's somebody in this room. If you're not careful, you're going to miss it. God loves you. God cares about you. God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for your sins. And I think, wow. As I'm standing before them, listening to them tell me this, I think how hard that must be for them to feel that to be stuck in that way of thinking. As I stand there, knowing that I have experienced the greatest love any man could ever know, in knowing that I am saved, and knowing that I will never have to experience hell, and knowing that I have a heavenly father, in knowing that my savior died for my sins, and to have to listen to them pour out their hearts about how they think they're worthless, and it's sad because I have what could help them, but they won't listen. The love of a heavenly father is so great that I have given my life in trying to get others adopted. I need more brothers and sisters. God needs more sons and daughters. That is the whole goal. We have this misconception that God's just out to make everybody miserable because we have to follow all these rules. No, God sent Jesus Christ here to seek and save that which was lost. He gave the Great Commission to God's people to continue that, to go and tell people about how good Jesus is and that he died on a cross for our sins so that others can experience the same love that we've experienced. That's the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to do. That's why we do every week what we do. That's why we spend time in prayer. That's why we read this book, because we love people just as God loved people. I've tried. I've tried to find somewhere in this Bible that might line up with their ideology, and I haven't. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I haven't found it. Have you found it, Brother Ben? I haven't found it. I don't think it's in there. God's Word stands true. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever, there's that word again, believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to others. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, un- from all unrighteousness. Amen. It doesn't matter how much wrong you think you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. He still wants you. But God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Do you really know what that verse means when you break it down? He knows how rotten you are. He knows how wicked you are. He knows how bad you think you are. But he still doesn't care. In the greatest love act that man has ever seen, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, from a beautiful place called heaven to die on a cross for our sins because he loves us that much. He cares for us that much that he would send his only begotten son to die for you and to die for me. When you think you're unlovable, he can show you unconditional love. When you think you're unforgivable, he can and will forgive you when you repent. When you think you're unchangeable, he can change you in ways you never thought possible. I got to stop right there. I I can't get over that one. Because I tell you, at 23 years old, I sat on the back of a rice field in Lafayette, Louisiana. And I fell to my knees and I cried out to God and I said, God, this can't be my life. For for eight years, from the time I was 15 to the time I was 23, I lived a godless, wicked lifestyle, and I came to my end, and I thought, this can't be my life. And I remember falling to my knees, and I reached my hands out to God, and I said, I can't do this anymore, God. I can't do it anymore. I'm tired of the loneliness. I'm tired of feeling worthless. I'm tired of feeling like I don't matter. I'm tired of feeling like you don't care. When I know that that's not the truth, Lord, I know that you care. If you didn't care, you wouldn't have saved my soul when I was 15 years old. I know that. And I remember getting up from my knees as I sat there with the tears flowing out of my eyes, and I remember the first thing that came to my mind is I want to drink. Because that's what I had lived for for so long, but you know what? The desire wasn't there. It was like it was like as if we were to walk out of this room and turn off the light switch, it was just it wasn't there. I couldn't even be around it without getting physically sick. The drugs didn't matter. I didn't want any part of that. He changed me. And instantly, he put people in my life. I remember they brought a man down from Virginia to work at the dealership that I was working at, Lafayette, Louisiana. His name was Scott Turbyfield. He was a man of God. God didn't do that by accident. He brought that man into my life. And that man began to teach me about the Bible, and he began to take me to church, and he began to take me soul winning, and began to teach me things, and invest in me, and take me under his wing, and love me like God loved me, and he cared about me. And then from there, I went to Alabama, and I got involved in a church in Alabama, and I began to learn what it meant to, to be a soul winner. And I went out soul winning, and God began to put other people in my life. I think of a man named Jason Felt, my Sunday school teacher. And the investment that he had in me, the love that he had, and the care that he had for me. God changed me. He took all that wickedness out of my life. He changed me. I couldn't do that on my own. He changed me. I don't think you guys are understanding what I'm saying. He changed me forever. Never to go back to that lifestyle. Now, I understand that we could fall in an instant, but I have no desire. And I believe that if I stay close to that book and I stay close to him, that he'll keep me from it. He changed me. Hope you guys don't mind I testified a little bit, but he changed me. When you think you're unsavable, he and he alone can save you. And finally tonight, another misconception of my Savior. I have to get right before I get saved. Look at verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, and half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. This is another common statement I hear from people when I talk to them about Jesus. Could I just go ahead and say this morning, if you have to get right before you get saved, you'll never be ready. Never. There is none righteous, no, not one. I believe that the moment Zacchaeus stepped down out of that tree, he was saved. I believe there's a reason he came down quick. I believe there's a reason he was joyful. But then you look just a couple verses later, he has a desire to restore to any man anything that he might have taken. It was the joy of the Lord in him that gave him that desire to take his right, to take his wrong, and to make it right. God gave him that. I tell you from my own personal experience, people by nature, they're not going to go out of their way to make right and be a blessing to others without the love of God in them. That's just human nature. I'm not saying that there aren't nice and thoughtful people out there who just so happen to not be saved. But I am saying that it goes against human nature to desire to make right towards people that don't like you. That's not something we're going to go out of our way to do. But then you come to this place and you hear the testimonies of these people and you hear them talk about how they go out and tell their enemies about Jesus Christ. Why? Because they want them to be adopted into the family. They have a genuine love for them. They care for them because they know how good God has been. There's something about when God gets a hold of you where you want everybody else to know it, whether they're your enemy or not. can't tell you how many people have cursed us and just been flat out rude to us just because we want to tell them about Jesus. They have a very twisted view of our Savior. And if I'm being honest this morning, if I wasn't saved and I didn't have the love of my Savior, I would give up on doing right, trying to do good pretty quick. I really don't have the stamina to do that on my own. But it's being saved and understanding his long suffering. That means that he has suffered long. And it's not done. But he does that because he loves us. Understanding His meekness, understanding His patience, understanding His love helps me to continue to bring forth the gospel to a lost and dying world. You know what? Even if they hate us for doing it, I'm still going to do it because it's worth it. How can you know how to get right without a Savior to show you? Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. The world has a very warped view of what it means to get right. It's another interesting topic. Usually in the conversation, people will tell me, oh, well, I'm not right and I got to get right and I got to do this to get saved, or I'm not a good enough person. So I always ask them, well, what's your definition of getting right? Or what's your definition of being a good person? And you know what the number one answer that I hear often is? Well, I got to follow the Ten Commandments. You know what the problem with that way of thinking is? One, There's way more than just 10 commandments. And two, you have to understand the context of what that was about. Those commandments were given to God's people because of all the idol worship that was going on in those nations in that time around them to help keep them focused upon God and understood what God expected from them. But let's just go ahead and do as the world does and toss that context out the window. And let's think about that for a second. Let's talk about those commandments. Honor thy mother and thy father. How are we doing on that one? Let me let you in on a little secret. It doesn't matter how old you are. You still honor your mother and your father. When you guys leave the house and you go to Bible college, you don't suddenly know more than mom and dad. You still honor thy mother and thy father. Thou shalt not steal. How about that one? A lot of people say, well, I've never done that. I would never steal anything. Oh, is that right? You've never slacked off on company time? I think we've all done that. Husbands, maybe you took that cupcake that your wife brought back from Magnolia Market and you thought maybe she wouldn't notice. You thought you tried to justify it as, you know, I'm helping you out a little bit. I got a question about that real quick. If you pay for the cupcake, does it count as stealing? <laughs> Miss Leanne, yes, absolutely. How does that work? I, it, it's a gift, Right. I'm going to move on now. Thou shall not covet. How about that one? Ever wanted something someone else had? Or even just wanted something that you know you really didn't need or you couldn't afford and you just wanted it so bad that that's all you thought about? Have you ever done that one? How about thou shall have no other gods before me? Now there's a big problem with that one. Because if you haven't accepted Christ, then you're doing really good at disobeying that one because that was meant for God's people. By the way, that was also little g-gods. You know, like when you put your children before God or you put your spouse before, before God, you put your job before God, you put your wealth before God, your hobbies, those little g-gods that take place of God, that's what he was talking about. Get rid of them. God needs to be the center. I say all, this to, I say all that to say this, at 15 years old, I realized on my own I was nothing, even though at 15 we tend to think that we know everything. But I realized that I wasn't right, and I wasn't doing right. I couldn't do right on my own, no matter how hard I tried. But I understood that in order to, I needed help. And only He could give me that help. There was no other way for me to be the man I needed to be, to grow, and to one day strive to be the husband and father I desperately want to be, but to trust in Him. I really don't think you could do that without Jesus. I needed him, and at 15 years old that night, I called upon the name of the Lord, and he saved me. And could I just let you in on a little secret? Just because I got saved doesn't mean I'm always right. I got a wife to let me know. We got Brother Luke to let me know. Josh to let me know. Our pastor. You come to this church, you're going to have lots of people that are going to hold you accountable. But it's a great place to be, I promise you. It really is. I still struggle. I still make mistakes. But what I can tell you is that it's a whole lot sweeter on this side. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Love everything about being in this church. Even you, Brother Matt. (laughs) Brother Darren, can't leave you out either. I love this church. But I'd have to admit, Satan has done a pretty good job deceiving so many. So many people who believe God cannot save them because they think they have done so much wrong. So many people who believe they cannot be saved until they get right. So many people who believe God doesn't care about them. So many people who believe God will not accept them because they are poor, because they aren't smart enough, or because they aren't able-bodied. So many people who will go to hell because they have fallen to the misconceptions of my Savior. But I tell you this morning, if you're here and you've struggled in the areas, or if you could just be honest, just be honest. You're amongst friends this morning. Nobody is going to judge you. Nobody is going to call you out. Be honest with yourself between you and God right now. If you had to say, I don't know if I'm saved this morning, you don't have to leave here wondering. We don't want you to leave. Let me make this as clear as I possibly can God can and He will save any who will call upon His name. Doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your past. Any who call upon his name, he desires you, and he wants you. The greatest gift one can ever receive is the gift of salvation. And we can take time to show you right from God's word how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will go to heaven, every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.